From ARUP Laboratories on the campus of the University of Utah, welcome to the LabMind Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Brian Jackson. Today is Tuesday, the 15th of December, 2020. In today's episode, we have three guests from Northwell Laboratories, part of the Northwell Health System in New York State. Chris Zavala is Director of Business Development. Mike Eller is AVP for Business Development. And we also have Dr. Jim Crawford, Senior VP for Laboratory Services, who's also Professor and Chair of the Pathology Department at the Donald and Barbara Zucker School of Medicine at Hofstra Northwell. Now, I suspect most listeners will be familiar with Northwell. If you aren't, it's the largest health system in New York State. According to their website, there are 23 hospitals, about 800 outpatient locations, and about 75,000 employees across New York City and Long Island. The topic of today's conversation and the, the reason I was so interested to invite these three onto the program today is a program called LabFly, a mobile phlebotomy program that they will describe in more detail, which I think will be quite interesting for many of our listeners. So Chris, Mike, and Jim, welcome to LabMind. Thank you for having us. So Mike, maybe I should start with you. It'd be helpful to just have a little bit of context about Northwell Laboratories, maybe your scope, the range of clinical customers you serve, and so forth. Sure. Northwell Health Labs started uh, essentially about 1996, where we formed a central core laboratory to service. I believe at that time, it was about eight or nine of our health system hospitals. So originally was really brought about to reduce costs through the health system by forming a single consolidated core laboratory. Since then, we've built a pretty large outreach program where we do testing for uh, over 5,000 outreach clients uh, in our region. So fast forward to today, and we service actually 34 hospital-based laboratories. That includes a joint venture we have with the New York City Health and Hospitals. Those 5,000 outreach clients that I spoke of We have over 2,000 FTEs and over about 120, 130 pathologists on staff. As a health system, we do over 30 million billable tests, and we do over 200,000 surgical specimens a year. To service our outreach clients, we have about 38, 39 uh, patient service centers in our region, and we are also service probably about 50 nursing homes where we do about a quarter of a million uh, nursing home draws uh, every year. We do close to 100,000 home phlebotomy draws as well, and that number is actually much higher this year than previous years because that's really the basis for us to, to come up with LabFly is that we had a base of phlebotomists that were already out there doing close to 100,000 draws a year. And then we'll, we'll get into it more later, but that was really the impetus for us coming up with LabFly. So between inpatient, outpatient, and outreach, you've got a pretty broad range and a pretty sizable organization that you're managing there then. Yeah, it's big. Like you said before, we have uh, 75,000 employees. I think we're the largest employer in New York. If not, we're, we're pretty darn close. So yeah, we have ambulatory sites throughout our service area. So uh, I think at this time, our lab We probably do close to 75% of our volume at the core laboratory is actually outreach and 25% from our hospitals. When we first started back in 1996, that number was flipped. So most of our volume came from our hospitals because we had such a small outreach program. So that has grown tremendously over the years, and we're real proud of that. The elephant in the room on any medical conversation this year is obviously COVID-19. So even though I'm really eager to get into LabFly, I just have to ask, what role has Northwell Laboratories played in the COVID response for the New York City region, especially considering that this was the big epicenter last spring? 
Chris, do you want to start with that one? Yeah, sure. New York was the epicenter. All started in New Rochelle. Governor Cuomo actually asked Northwell to help out setting up testing in New Rochelle for that population. So we sent up a number of phlebotomists for two weeks straight and worked with the New York State Department of Health and some other entities to stand up testing. We had drive through for two weeks. We swabbed 8,500 people in that location. On top of that, you know, we had issues in the laboratory. There were supply chain issues across the board. So we set up many different analyzers just to provide PCR testing and were able to support the community's needs. Our community relations team worked very closely with them. We stood up 28 different houses of faith and tested over 65,000 people over the course of the pandemic to date. We also stood up what we called ambulatory evaluation clinics for people who are potentially positive. In the beginning of the pandemic, we had a number of those sites across our geography and basically to evaluate the patients. And we worked with the RNs and everybody to set up the testing, make sure they had the right supplies. Everything was done really quickly, so very fast to make sure that we were there to support the communities. One of the cool things that the lab also did was when everything shifted and elective surgery started opening, we really needed to increase our swabbing capacity. So we trained all of our phlebotomists at our patient service centers. They saw 21 to 23,000 patients per month prior to COVID. Now we're seeing about 36,000 patients a month. And a lot of that is just because, you know, we're, we're doing the swabbing at those sites. The question can be asked, what was the impact of Northwell Health Laboratories on the region? And In a major way, Northwell Health bore the brunt of the hospital admissions. Our peak admissions in the first week of April were over 3,300 patients in-house, and our daily death rate exceeded 90 persons per day, which was four times the usual seasonal in-house death rate. Simultaneously, to back up what Chris was just saying, is we had performed about 18% of all tests in New York State. And we constituted a disproportionate number of positives. Queens was hit especially hard, and that is our market service area. Ironically enough, the uh, location with the highest percent positivity, which exceeded 70%, was a zip code named Corona. And so by a small margin, but Queens overall was hit very hard, as were other areas in both Nassau and Suffolk County. And we worked very closely with the New York State Department of Public Health and basically our regional peer institutions to help our region get through this pandemic. A test positivity rate greater than 70% is just staggering when it comes to describing a contagion. And over the summer, the testing only went up. We remained in the 1% to 3% range. Over recent weeks now, we've crept back up into the 6 to 7% range, and this at a much higher testing level, exceeding 10,000 tests per day. So over the length of the pandemic, we really have been one of the major players in the New York region. You know, as the rest of the country has experienced what we experienced in the early spring, on the one hand, it's disheartening. But on the other hand, yesterday was a historic day. I think by minutes, the first non-clinical trials, standard of care, healthcare worker vaccinated was here at Northwell uh, at Long Island Jewish Medical Center, which uh, had one of the highest patient care censuses back in April. So we're still in the middle of it, but we're very proud to have been able to serve our region. So I thought this would be a great lead into LabFly, since one of the big laboratory stories around COVID-19 is getting out into the community to collect specimens in a magnitude that's far greater than what laboratories have historically done. So with that sort of background, Mike, do you want to sort of explain what LabFly is? I know that this predates COVID, but you know, a little bit of the history and, and how the program works. Sure, absolutely. LabFly is a, is a mobile application that is patient-centric, where patients uh, receive an order for blood work. 
more COVID testing now in, in this case. They can go on the app, similar like you would do with Uber and uh, Grubhub and everything, you know, build a profile, take a picture of their script, take a picture of their insurance card. They could pay a small convenience fee on the app through their credit card and schedule a time that's convenient for a phlebotomist to come to their home or their office and take their blood sample. The genesis of LabFly really came down to, in the office, myself and my mentor, Bob Stallone, who I think many of your listeners will probably recognize the name in the industry. But we were looking at our patient service center locations, and we were talking about access for our patients. And we had recently come back from a business trip where we were using Uber to go everywhere. And, and we were just like, oh, this is just the greatest thing ever. I could plug in my information and a car will come pick me up and bring me where I want to go in a few minutes. This is fantastic. And we had like this epiphany and we looked at each other and we, we both were like mobile phlebotomy. Like what if a patient can have an app and instead of a patient going to the laboratory, the laboratory will come to the patient. And, you know, we said, we got to do this. And we talked about it and we partnered with a third party vendor that we've been working with called uh, MPHRX. And we essentially, together with them, built the app from the ground up. All of its functionality came from working with our phlebotomists and talking to them about the process and, and what they need to do their job effectively. And we built it and we went live on August 26th of 2019. And we did a, a very slow and deliberate rollout because we wanted to make sure that we worked out any kinks. And that's it. We got together with marketing firms and we thought of a name. We came up with a logo. It was a lot of fun. It was almost like building your own business. And most health system laboratories don't really get that opportunity to be innovative and to kind of build something like that from the ground up. You know, that's really a testament to our CEO, Michael Dowling, and his culture of innovation that he brought up in our system. We actually have an innovation challenge every year where ideas get presented and funded. So we recently um, were a recipient of, of one of those awards that we were excited about. That's kind of the story of LabFly. I love your framing it that way, because when I first learned about it, Uber was definitely what came to mind for me. I remember the first time I tried an Uber ride and, and was really blown away with how easy it was. The other thing that comes to mind, I think of podcast interviews I've heard with founders of delivery app services like Grubhub and, and Uber Eats. This is the kind of innovation most of us associated with, uh, you know, Silicon Valley, you know, tech industry, that kind of a place. Let's face it, healthcare is not known as an industry where amazing computer technology comes out of. We certainly have a lot of cool testing and biotechnology, but IT stuff, that, that's not what healthcare is known for. React to that a little bit. Did, did you have to develop some new capabilities in order to do this? Did you have to think about things in new ways? Did you have to change your management thinking? Or is it just sort of a myth that you can only do innovation in a Silicon Valley kind of a setting? No, I mean, we, we had to go through a lot of changes. We had to digitize every, a lot of stuff that we did on paper which was a big culture change for a lot of people. And, you know, when I think about the Silicon Valley companies and could they invade into our space and things like that, I say, well, they're really good at building apps and getting things from, you know, point A to point B, if you will, in commerce. But it takes a different culture to deliver healthcare, And that's something that we do every day, that we're taking advantage of a technological tool to help us do it in a more patient-friendly, customer-centric way. I think a challenge for a Silicon Valley-type company 
would be to deliver healthcare, that compassionate healthcare, and to deliver it in a compassionate and effective and skillful way. There were companies that came out that had phlebotomists that were kind of like phlebotomists for hire, kind of like Uber drivers. And that type of model didn't work because you didn't have control over the quality of the training of the culture of those people. So it's something that is special coming from a healthcare system. Yeah, my mind's taken back to uh, one of Clayton Christensen's books, the one that he did on healthcare, the Harvard Business School professor that some of you are familiar with who passed away recently. But in the beginning of his book, he acknowledges that as a non-healthcare business strategy thinker, he assumed it might take him a year or so to apply all of his brilliant ideas to healthcare. And three years later, he realized that healthcare was far more complicated than any business thinkers outside of healthcare ever seemed to realize. I wonder if that's why these big tech companies, you know, going back to Microsoft and Apple, really haven't made nearly as big a splash in healthcare as many of us had anticipated. I don't know. Any thoughts? I couldn't agree more. As I said, it's much different. It's one thing to program an app, but it's a completely different thing to deliver care. But, you know, I wouldn't count them out because I don't think we ever could. I think these companies are coming up with a lot of um, partnership ideas and they're learning that doing it themselves is, is very difficult, but partnering with someone who does it well is probably the better move. If I were an executive at Apple or Amazon or, you know, pick your impressive tech company, I would absolutely be looking to partner with academic medical centers. Okay, back to sort of the operational side of LabFly. I'm really interested just in the past year, since most of LabFly's history has been in the last year. What's that been like in the COVID era? It strikes me as maybe a paradox that at a time when so much healthcare has shifted to online virtual visits and all of that. You know, in the laboratory, you can't do a blood draw over a webcam. What's it been like sending folks out to do mobile phlebotomy when you've got a pandemic going on and they have to do all the PPE, but now they're out in the community, so it must be even harder. What's that experience like? Chris, do you want to take that one? Yeah, sure. So definitely at the start of the pandemic, as offices started to shut down, uh, everything moved towards telehealth visits. And everybody forgets about that lab component. Where are they going to go get their lab drawn? We still had our patient service centers open, but people were afraid to go to those centers. So as everything shifted to telehealth visits, we saw a slow increase in the number of, of draws. And because of the pandemic, our team was out there. They'd have to don and doff before they went into every patient's home. You know, they come in with their lab coats on and their mask and their, their face shield. And then we taught all of our phlebotomists how to, how to swab as well so that we could do a full, a full workup. We worked with a number of teams that were caring for COVID patients in the home and trying to keep them in the home rather than going out and potentially infecting other people. So we had our phlebotomists go in the home to, to collect them and, and help with their care. You know, we even worked with some departments that would send nurses to the house as well if the patients need additional follow-up. But it was really incredible, the dramatic increase prior to COVID. I mean, we look at our home drop population, right? Labfly is a, is a unique portion of that because it's, it's using the app, it's the technology, it's a convenience play, but we also have the, the homebound population that we were servicing prior to LabFly. And if you look at what our department looked like before COVID, we were doing about 150 draws a day from our homebound population and about 15 to 20 lab flies per week. And that shifted uh, dramatically. Now we're doing 20 times that. We're doing, last week, we did 400 draws for the week on lab fly. And I think it was Thursday, we did about 420 home draws. So we're doing almost 500 draws per day. So we dramatically changed the way our department functioned. 
we had to hire a lot more people just to get this done because the demand was so high. And we're constantly getting additional requests just to help keep people in the home. So if I go back to the Uber example or the Grubhub example, you've always got the technology enthusiasts that are eager to try a new service as soon as they hear about it. But, you know, in healthcare, we're mostly serving the mainstream population. Do you think people just needed to get used to the idea of ordering up a phlebotomist? Because let's face it, it, it is a pretty new kind of a concept. It's not something that's been out there historically. I think the best model is to obviously collect the patient when you see them in their office. When we look at our, our overall volume, 20% of our patients that go to go to a doctor that don't have their blood drawn in the office, they will never go and get that blood work drawn. They'll just forget about it because it's an inconvenience to go to a patient service center. So I think it really took the pandemic, and I think this will be like a, a very big shift because people that use the app, once they use it, they understand how convenient it is, especially people who are caregivers that have kids or elderly parents. They're the ones that have really found the app to be even easier for them. Because think about dragging your kids to a patient service center. Most pediatricians in our area don't draw in their office. I think it's just getting that person to try using it the first time and realizing that it's convenient and realizing that paying the $20 is really worth it for them. With 20% of laboratory orders in these outpatient settings going completely unfilled, presumably because of the inconvenience or other issues of going into a patient service center, what kind of a medical impact does that have when presumably these are necessary lab tests, but they're going undrawn because of you know, logistical or other issues? Well, Brian, you're touching on a much broader issue, which is continuity of care and closing gaps in care, the lab of which sees these gaps because uh, people are not getting testing that they need. And LabFly actually falls into the broader perspective of the uh, home draws that Mike had mentioned earlier. In the first instance, the physician ordered continuity of care, whether it's post-acute following discharge from hospital or a continuing program for the elderly frail patient, is well served by home care. Now we add the consumer component, which helps people overcome the incredible inconvenience of uh, getting to a patient service center or another draw center, getting the kids in the car, whatever it is, and to say, no, this is how I want to be taken care of. And so LabFly is a very consumer, patient-friendly oriented mechanism for closing these gaps and through what we hope is uh, a very appropriate convenience fee, closing that 20% that don't get filled. So put that then in the context of the larger health system strategy. A lot of health systems are trying to take a fresh look at how they get out into the community and meet people where they are. It seems like LabFly would fit well with this, but how are your, your leaders at Northwell looking at these issues? One of the things we are very cognizant of at Northwell Laboratories is that we've got to earn our place every single day. And so in terms of really bringing home our value to Northwell, we want basically the top people in the organization on down to know that the having an in-system integrated laboratory is absolutely essential for the health system being able to deliver the care that it wants. And the example I'll give is right at the start of this pandemic, the last week of February was the first system incident command meeting where the uh, chief administrative officer was going through our strengths and weaknesses in getting ready for what was about to happen the following week. And one of the assets was LabFly. He said, we've got LabFly. That to me is illustration of what it means to be a laboratory where the health system says, we can deliver the care we need to deliver. 
And that's something that we strive to do every single day, of which LabFly was really ideally suited to address some incredibly pressing needs during the COVID sequence. All the while, I might add, taking care of other patients who had continuity of care requirements. So in a world where, let's face it, not all health system top executives look at laboratories that way. We're constantly hearing stories of health systems that are ready to you know, spin off the lab if they need an extra you know, $50 million to build a building or, or whatever. I'm guessing that having senior leadership see LabFly as a strategic element must be reassuring in your setting. Yes, that's what I mean by not taking this for granted. Because in point of fact, if lab services can be provided more cheaply and you're not adding anything beyond that, then your position with senior health system leadership is not as secure. We have to constantly stay focused on serving the population of our region, making sure that the patient experience, LabFly, is optimally tuned and helping drive the outcomes that we need to strive for, both in healthcare and and certainly in terms of what the health system needs to accomplish. And so it's part of a greater whole. Again, every single day we've got to earn it. So closing question, I'll pose this to Chris, then Mike, then Jim. What's the first thing that comes to mind for you about how you think lab services are going to look different a decade into the future? Chris? I would look at what's changing today. What do I see in my current environment and how that's changing? And I think in the time that I've worked here at Northwell, I see it it's shifting from a physician-centered to a more patient-centered type of uh, delivery system. And LabFly is a perfect example of that, but I think it'll even go beyond that. Some trends that are happening in the marketplace today where it's more patient-initiated ordering, companies like Quest Direct, Everly Well, Let's Get Checked, where patients can go and actually request the test that they want, pay a fee, and then everything's delivered in the comfort of their home in most cases. I think there's going to be a more, more of a shift to that type of model where it's going to be more patient-focused. And I think that's where you know we have to make sure we are to make sure that we're, we're ahead of that curve. In industries in general, everything's going towards patient convenience. I mean, you look at the whole convenience economy between Uber, Lyft, Uber Eats. I think that's how everything's going to trend. And that's where we have to be 10 years from now. One of the key things to make sure that we can still maintain intact is that physician-patient relationship to make sure that that's still strong, to make sure we're giving the right care for when that model shifts. Yeah, I totally agree. Mike, anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of see the new doctor's office as being the living room between wearables where we can, you know, you can have an EKG on somebody, you can monitor their heart rate and their blood pressure and all that. And the advances that we're seeing in point of care testing, the the menus are starting to grow of the tests that you can do at bedside. Now I could take those instruments and, and put them in a car and I can drive to somebody's house and get my iPad and see the doctor on the other end and know what's going on with the patient. So one of the big issues with telemedicine has always been the doctor can't be there to see the patient, but you can have someone there with the patient and have a doctor on the other end. When we talked before about parents uh, with kids using LabFly, they absolutely love it. And could you imagine having a couple kids with sore throats and being able to order a LabFly, come to the house and do a strep test instead of dragging them all the way to the doctor? I think that Healthcare is going to have a very intimate relationship with Silicon Valley and trying to figure out how you could marry the the data and put the portability into the instrumentation where we can almost have a physician's office or dare I say hospital room in somebody's living room. So that that's kind of where I see it in the future. 
Jim, we'll give you the last word here. What do you envision 10 years in the future for uh, diagnostic laboratory services? I will push back on the 10 years. What do I envisage in five years <laughs> or fewer? Which is the fact that I think LabFly is, is part of a broader suite of consumer-oriented products, which I hope, as does our team, we can leverage to knit together the consumer with the laboratory and healthcare community. COVID has demonstrated clearly the value of telehealth. And our laboratory, again, as a integrated part of Northwell Health, has been an essential part of closing the loop on a telehealth visit. LabFly is a perfect way to close that loop. All right. Well, on that note, uh, Chris Zavala, Mike Eller, and Dr. Jim Crawford, thank you so much for being on LabMind today. Thanks for having us. Great. LabMind is sponsored by ARUP Laboratories, a not-for-profit enterprise of the University of Utah and its Department of Pathology. Our producer is Sheree Peterson, with sound engineering by Jonathan Tyndall. You can find other LabMind episodes at arup.utah.edu, along with an extensive video lecture library providing free CME and CE credits for medical and laboratory professionals. You can also subscribe to LabMind on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your other favorite podcast app. If you do access it on an app, I would encourage you to leave a rating and review in order to help others find the podcast. 